Now, we're going to turn our attention to the book of Daniel. We're going to be tracking the story of Daniel and his mates over the next few weeks. Uh, and um, I want to introduce that today. And I think the best way for me to do that is rather than me to read various chunks or to, to just sort of try and explain everything that's going on in what can seem like a, a, at times quite a, a, a weird, there's some odd stuff going on amid the, the narrative and the storyline, some of which of course will be really familiar with you, uh, to you. Um, I thought the best way to, to introduce it is to jump to my friends at The Bible Project. If you haven't come across The Bible Project, then Google it and download their stuff. Absolutely fantastic, particularly in terms of their, the way they present themes in the Bible and their Bible overviews. So we're going to tune into the Bible overview of the first seven chapters of Daniel. Um, there's more and you can watch that in your own time. But just today, we'll look at the first seven chapters. Um, just to say, he, um, the guy who narrates it, he has, um, he has an interesting accent. I'm still trying to place where it comes from. And he speaks unbelievably clearly, but at great pace. So um, as well as watching the story unfold visually, you, you'll need to pay close attention as he rattles through the, the overview of the book of Daniel. So um, if you're ready, strap in. Here's Daniel. The book of Daniel. The story set right after Babylon's first attack on Jerusalem, and they had plundered the city and its temple and taken a wave of Israelites into exile. Among them were four men from the royal family of David, Daniel, who's later named Belteshazzar, and his three friends, who you probably know by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This book tells of their struggles to maintain hope in the land of their conquerors. The book's design seems pretty simple at first. Chapters 1 through 6 contain stories about Daniel and his friends in Babylon, while chapters 7 through 12 contain the visions of Daniel about the future. But this two-part shape is made even more interesting by another design feature, and that's the book's language. It begins in Hebrew, the language of the Israelites, but chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, a cousin language to Hebrew spoken widely among the ancient empires. But then in chapters 8 through 12, it goes back to Hebrew. This design shows how chapters 2 through 7 are a coherent section, but it also highlights the importance of chapters 2 and 7 for understanding the later chapters of the book. Let's just dive in. Chapter 1 introduces the basic tension of the first half of the book. Daniel and his friends, they're really wise and capable, and they're recruited to serve in the royal palace of Babylon. But they're pressured to give up their Jewish identity by living and eating like Babylonians and violating the Jewish food laws found in the Torah. So they refuse, and they choose faithfulness to the Torah, and it puts them in danger. But God delivers them, and they end up being elevated by the king of Babylon. After this begins the Aramaic section, which you'll see has this really cool symmetrical design. So first, the king of Babylon has a dream that, it turns out, only Daniel is able to interpret. It's about a huge statue made of four types of metal, and it symbolizes a sequence of kingdoms, and the head is Babylon. But then a huge rock comes flying in, and it shatters the statue, and it becomes this huge mountain. Now, this dream is the first of many symbolic visions in the book, and this one introduces the basic storyline of them all. Daniel says that the statue represents a train of human kingdoms following from Babylon, and they will all fill God's world with violence. But one day, God's kingdom will come and will confront and humble the arrogant kingdoms of this world and fill the world with the healing justice of God's reign and rule. 
After this, chapter 3 tells the famous story of Daniel's three friends who refused to bow down and worship a huge idol statue, which, like the statue in chapter 2, represents the king and his imperial power. And so the friends are persecuted, they're thrown into a fiery furnace, but God delivers them from death and they're exalted by the king who now acknowledges their God as the true one. After this come a pair of stories about two Babylonian kings, the father, Nebuchadnezzar, and then his son, Belshazzar. They're both filled with pride because of their imperial power. And so, like in chapter 2, God warns them both through dreams and then visions, which, also like chapter 2, only Daniel can interpret. He says that both kings are to humble themselves before God, and both kings arrogantly resist. So Nebuchadnezzar is stricken with madness. He becomes like a beast in the field. But then he humbles himself before God, and his humanity returns to him. He's restored as king. This is in contrast with his son, Belshazzar, who doesn't humble himself before God, and he's assassinated that very night. Now, these two stories draw this imagery from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Psalm 8, where humans are depicted as the royal image of God. He's given them authority to rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air on behalf of God, who is the world's true king. But when human kingdoms forget that, when they rebel and make themselves and their power into a God, they become less than human, like violent beasts who will face God's justice. Which brings us to chapter 6, the pair of chapter 3. And this time it's Daniel who's being persecuted because he refuses to pray and worship the king as a god. And so like the friends, he's sentenced to death and he's thrown into a lion's den. But God delivers him from the beasts. And like the friends, the king exalts Daniel and praises his god. Which brings us to chapter 7. It's the pair of chapter 2 and the center of the book where all its themes come together. It's another dream, but it's Daniel's this time. And ironically, he can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. He sees a series of four beasts, one like a lion, then like a bear, then one like a winged leopard, each of these symbolizing an arrogant kingdom. And last of all is a super beast identified as a really evil empire. And it has lots of horns, a common symbol for kings in the Old Testament. And there's one specific horn who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and persecutes God's people. Now they are symbolized by a figure called the Son of man, who's an image for both God's covenant people, but also for their king from the line of David. But then all of a sudden, God, who's called the Ancient of Days, comes and he sets up his throne. He destroys the super beast and he exalts the Son of Man on the clouds where he comes up to sit at God's right hand and share in God's rule over the nations. We can look back now and see how all of these stories in the first half fit together. The three stories of faithfulness despite persecution, these are meant to offer hope to God's suffering people among the nations. But they suffer because human kingdoms have rebelled against God and have become beasts. And so these visions encourage patience, that God's people are to wait for him to bring his kingdom and rule over our world and vindicate his suffering people. But it rains. Sorry, just creaming up. It's been quite important this week if you've been fortunate enough to to get outside or or maybe even if you're inside without access to the sun from outside your building, but you can open a window maybe and uh, uh, and just sit and enjoy the sunshine.
Why, why, do, we, why do we put cream on? It's because um, the sun is incredible. What the sun does is it illuminates the world in which we live. The sun enables us to see everything around us in the, in the here and now. The, the beautiful blossoms uh, and the buds and leaves just appearing on the trees. All the glorious colours of nature in this wonderful creation that God has made. The sun enables us to, to see that. In fact, the sun calls it out, brings it to life. The sun enables us to appreciate the here and now. All that we can see and touch and hear and smell. But there's another reality about the sunshine. There's an unseen reality that is nonetheless real, even though we can't see it with our eyes. The sun emits ultraviolet rays. And, and in many ways, they're good for us. Uh, the, the, the nutritionists and the, and the dietitians and the healthcare people, they'll tell us that in order for us to be healthy, we, we need uh, a good balance of vitamins. And sunshine in particular imparts vitamin D. So after a long winter, do you remember how wet February was? <laughs> Seems a rather distant memory now, doesn't it? Because here we are enjoying this glorious weather. So it's good to benefit from the unseen elements of the sun. But there are also some negative or harmful elements that are unseen, but nonetheless real. The ultraviolet rays, which if we sit in them for too long, will burn us and do our skin damage. Um, prolonged exposure to the ultraviolet rays can be cancerous, can even lead to our premature death. Two realities. That which the sunlight reveals in the here and now, the world in which we live, that's all around us, ever present, pressing in on our senses, and an unseen reality that still exists and is very real and has a bearing on our lives for good or ill. One world, two realities. And that's the backdrop to the Bible. And particularly, it's the backdrop to the book of Daniel. I've got here uh, chapter one and verse one in the book of Daniel. Let me read these first two verses to you. And feel free to follow, them along, uh, follow along if you've got your own version in front of you. Book of Daniel begins, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, it's the southern part of uh, the nations and the tribes of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And in those first two verses, we have, if you like, a, a kind of template, as we've just heard, for uh, and a framework, if you like, for the, the whole of the book of Daniel. 
It is, if you like, a story of two cities. There's the city of Babylon with its powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he conquers all before him. He just rides into Judah, into Jerusalem, and he captures Jehoiakim and takes him off and the peoples and the treasures into captivity in Babylon. Babylon represents one reality. Babylon is the here and now reality. Babylon has powerful kings and there are stories in the book of Daniel of of, of monsters and, and extraordinary beings. There are even wild animals that appear in the... Look, I've told you, you're not until chapter six. Go on, clear off. Go on, hop it. They appear to have power, but their power wanes. It will not last. It's very real in the here and now. But it's not like the second reality, represented by the second city that we read of through the book of Daniel. And here it is, right at the start. The second city is Jerusalem. Now, when we're in Babylon and seeing this story through the eyes of Daniel and his mates. Babylon seems so real and Jerusalem seems so far away, so distant. Surely Jerusalem doesn't really exist. And yet it does in a very real sense. And as we read the book of Daniel, we'll see how God appears time and time again to speak to Babylon the here and now, and to talk of Jerusalem, the real city that you can't see, but is nonetheless real for that. And it's Jerusalem that will win out over Babylon. Spoiler alert. You want to find out about Babylon today, you need to go to, I think it's room 55 of the British Museum, and all that's left is laid out there. It no longer exists. But the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, God's city, God's power, God's presence lives today and is growing life by life by life as men and women and boys and girls all across this world enter into it. The new Jerusalem, God's people in God's place filled with his life-giving spirit. Now, it's fairly enigmatic in the the story of Daniel. We're told about kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Uh, And God, again, the other reality is a little bit more obscured. He's referred to as the Ancient of Days, chapter 9. We're not exactly sure what that means, other than kind of uh, something of an eternal sense. He, he was there at the oldest of days, before all days, the eternal God. And he confers power and authority to, well, the reference is the son of man. We'll come back to that and, and unpack that a little bit more in the coming weeks. But the son of man is the one who has everlasting authority and power 
to rule and reign. And interestingly, he confers it on God's people. They are the ones who wear crowns. They are the ones, chapter 12 of Daniel, who will live forever and ever. They will last, even though they don't appear to be real or seen. Whereas Babylon, this awesome power, will collapse and eventually fall. Two realities encapsulated in two cities, Babylon, the here and now, Jerusalem, the unseen yet real and everlasting that can be discovered and discerned in the here and now. And two kings, there's uh, powerful kings with their kingdoms that are depicted apocryphally in, as monsters with heads and horns and fire. But their kingdoms crumble. And there is another king that emerges through the pages of Daniel who has an everlasting kingdom and whose people, even though they don't appear to be in charge in the story, even though they appear to be in chains, they are the ones who ultimately will be vindicated, will wear crowns of victory and will share in his rule and reign forever. I'd love to encourage you to maybe read uh, a chapter a week of the book of Daniel. That would take about 12 weeks and will take us to the end of this series. Uh, I know that some of the life groups and, and other uh, gatherings, you, you're studying other things and looking at other topics and that's absolutely fine. But maybe as we, Sunday by Sunday, just draw on different themes from this amazing book in the middle of our Bible. Uh, maybe we can track it week by week. Read a, a chapter and see through the here and now of Babylon, whether you can hear the echoes of Jerusalem breaking through. I'm gonna put a, a question for us to ponder on the screen and just leave uh, a few moments for you to think about that question and chew over it as we prepare ourselves to hear God through the narrative of Daniel.